Paul is on his way to Rome. He had appealed to Caesar in the previous chapters. Uh, He did not want to get turned over to the Jewish authorities. Uh, There were four Festus and Agrippa, King Agrippa. So he appealed to Caesar. And that was the right of every Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar. And um, so in Acts chapter 27... We're going to start the Paul's journey to Rome. There's going to be a couple of things that we're going to see. Uh, we've got a lot of verses to go over. And forgive me for I'm going to be going a little bit fast tonight. So what we're going to do is go over the verses. And each verse, I'll, I'll probably give you a little bit of background or define some terms and things. And then at the end of the lesson, I want to go over four, four obs- uh, observations. Four spiritual applications that we can take from the text. But let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless his word. Heavenly Father, we come again tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your great grace and your mercy and love to us. Father, thank you for the gift of life and giving us comfort, giving us peace in our hearts. Lord, we do pray that you will just open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes and May you teach us your word. May you apply it to our hearts. Father, may it just bring us strength. May it bring marrow to our bones. May, may it give us the ability, Father, to live this life and be pleasing to you, ever walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we'll begin chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy... They delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, the centurion of Augustus's band. Now, one of the things that we want to immediately notice in uh, verse 1 is the first person plural, we. So we see that Luke has once again joined Paul. Now, we haven't heard from Luke. Uh, the last time we heard from Luke was chapter 21, verse 18 when Paul was brought to Caesarea. So we think that Luke has been staying in Caesarea for the last couple of years, and now Luke is going to join Paul uh, on, this missionary, uh, on this journey to Rome. But when they had that we should sail in Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners. Now that word other is other of a different kind. Now, we know Paul was a prisoner, but he was a Roman citizen. He had appealed to Caesar. He was going to Rome to, to be tried by Nero. But these, there were other prisoners that went with Paul, but these were other of a different kind. So maybe these were actually prisoners that uh, the future did not look bright for them. They were being transported to Rome, or they were going to have execution. Um, but we see this name... Julius. Now we need to pay attention to who Julius is, and he's a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of uh, a dramatium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And if you, we are going to be using the map a lot tonight, so I don't know if you have a place that you can put it next to you. Uh, Brother David is going to need, did you already get them a map? Good, good, good. And uh, so we are going to be using the map. Uh, Just go ahead and tell you right now, the gray area on this map is the water. 
Now, on the bottom, and I think this is pretty neat, on the bottom you're going to see A, B, C, D, E, F. And so what I'll do is I'll reference, uh, look at F. And, um, you know, so, so Andromedon um, is a place. So entering into a ship of Andromedon, Andromedon, I guess, we launched meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, and this Aristarchus, now this is, we've seen Aristarchus a couple times. Uh, uh, he is a devoted travel companion and fellow laborer of, of Paul. Remember where we first saw him? We saw him in Ephesus, there at the riot, when he went into the, the, um, the theater. And during the, so they drug him, and if you remember, there was another uh, Gaius. They, they drug Gaius and Aristarchus into the theater. And he also accompanied Paul with the love offering from Achaia and Corinth to give to Jerusalem. So he has been with Paul this whole time, and now he's being transported with Paul. But Luke, we know that Luke and Aristarchus are accompanying Paul in this boat. Now, they're not prisoners. Uh, a couple of, you know, speculation is, well, maybe they allowed Luke. I mean, you typically weren't allowed accompanying, accompaniment when you were a prisoner being transported. So uh, Luke could have been Paul's physician or... Um, Aristarchus could have been like the servant of Paul. But we know that Luke and Aristarchus were with Paul on the ship. So verse 3, and the next day, uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 3, and the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh him. Now, Julius favored Paul. And it kind of reminds you a little bit of Joseph, doesn't it? That, you know, how Joseph had gained favor with Potiphar and how God had blessed Joseph, that whoever he was around uh, that he had gained favor with. And so Paul had gained favor with Julius, who is the centurion, so much so that he encouraged when they landed at Sidon, which is F. So you see from Caesarea to Sidon, they just kind of hook into Sidon. Uh, this was a popular port town, and it was a place where Paul would have had uh, friends in the faith. So uh, or Julius had allowed Paul some leave to go, so he <laughs> very much trusted him. Verse 4, And when we had launched from thence, from Sidon, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now, this is going to be a little, so this is why I wanted to do this verse by verse. There's going to be some language in here that might be a little confusing. And we've not, you know, we have seen this before where the Bible gives us prepositions and up, over, under, on, uh, above. And it's like, that's not what you think. And it's not what you think here when it says we sailed under Cyprus. They actually sailed over Cyprus. What it means here, and you can see that on your map, is they sailed over Cyprus. What they mean is under the shelter of Cyprus. There was a leeway. And there, what it did was it helped with the wind, and they were able to stay close to the shore. So either there was an overhang, there was something that was helping with the winds, and Luke tells us because the winds were contrary, we had a sail under the protection of this shelter which Cyprus had given in verse 5. And when we had sailed over 
the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. Now, Cilicia and Pamphylia were the, the big regions up in the top right corner. You see Cilicia, Galatia. You know what's kind of sad is I bet Paul was kind of waving at his house. Because remember, Paul's from Cilicia. He's from Tarsus. And there he is passing Tarsus. And they end up in Myra. Now, Myra is a very important Roman port because there is a trade route with Myra that goes straight up and down to Alexandria, Egypt. Now, Egypt's at the bottom. They're at D and E. And that trade route is grain. They, they get grain from Egypt and passengers, and then they bring it all the way to Rome. So from Myra... There's a shipping lane all the way to Rome. That's how Rome gets their grain. And so Rome will send ships down to them too. So it's up and down, up and down, up and down. And these are huge grain ships. They're huge vessels. Um, so now they're in Lycia. They're in Myra. And there the centurion, Julius, found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. So... He, uh, Julius hopped on board to the big one. It's like going from a, a, a prop uh, engine plane to a, a jet plane, you know, because here's this huge ve uh, shipping vessel that's meant for this journey. So they switched boats. They, sh they switched ships. In verse 7, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us or allowing us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salome. So instead of being able to go straight from Myra all the way over the Rome, the wind was too bad to do that. It was kind of a, a northwest wind. It was, a north, it was kind of pointing, going down, actually northeast, sorry, going down. So they had to go down underneath Crete, passing Salome, and it said that it took them, it was slow. And if you got wind, that's, you know, this is a sailboat. And if, you, and if you're trying to go this way and the wind is coming in your face, it's going to take you, I mean, a while because the wind's wanting to blow you back. So, verse 7, it took forever. It took many days, and they had barely gotten the Snidus, the, that Snidus and Rhodes. If you look at the letter D and go straight up, there's Snidus and Rhodes. And then from there, they had to go down under Crete. Now, this time, they got un the word under right here. <laughs> they went under Crete, over against Salome, and hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh, or close, whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now, when we get to this point, there's Fair Havens, right underneath Crete. They are there now, and in verse 9, he says, Now when much time was spent. So either that means because it took so long for them to get to where they're going, it took them so long to get to Fair Havens, or they were just taking a long time at Fair Havens. I don't think that's the case. Either way, verse 9, it's been a long time, and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already passed, Paul admonished them. Now, in the Mediterranean, it was very dangerous to sail 
between September and October. And it was impossible to sail between November and February. So the season, but the winter season was coming up. And when he says that because the fast was already passed, he's talking about the Day of Atonement, the fast of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is celebrated at the end of September or the early October. So right now is not the greatest time to be out on a sailboat in the Mediterranean Sea. Paul admonished them. Paul goes to warn them in verse 10 and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading, that means the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Now, this word perceive is either Paul was able to, Either Paul prophetically knew that something was going to go wrong or that word perceive also has with it a perception from past experience. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul had written that he had shipwrecked three times already. So Paul was no stranger to shipwrecks, and he didn't want this to be a fourth shipwreck. So I'm, I tend to believe that from past experience, Paul is aware. Paul's weather aware, he's shipping aware, uh, but in verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion, Julius, believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. This is going to be a decision that he will come to seriously regret. Verse 12, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and north, and uh, the west and northwest. <laughs> so, what this is, means is that where they were now was not very accommodating to stay for winter. They, they knew that they needed to stop. And so, they, but they didn't want to stop where they are. Instead, they want to go over the Phoenix. And on your map, it's Phoenix. It's nowadays, it's called Phoenix. I know that they call it Phoenix on here. But it's only like 30 to 40 miles. So all they have to do is hop in this boat and just kind of sail over to, to get there. So that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to lay up in Phoenix. Or, uh, Phoenix. It was a little bit more accommodating. It was away from the weather that was coming in. It had a little bit more shelter for them. And so in verse 13, the, the opportunity they thought they had, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. So they lifted up the anchors, and they went out to sail just to reach Phoenix. You see how close that is on your map? But it all goes wrong. Verse 14, but not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlidon. Now, I'm going to stop here for a minute. This word tempestuous, this is the only time this Greek word is used. We've seen tempestuous used as an English word before. But this word in the Greek, it's typhonikos. Uh, or typhoon. It's where we get the word typhoon. Strong describes this wind as being as visible as smoke. 
Have you ever seen a, a rainstorm come in so much that when you look out, you can, it looks like it's smoke, all of it's smoke. And so this tempestuous wind is where they get typhoon. And this Eurachlodon is kind of like North America's nor'easter. It's a storm that they named. Actually, in Moby Dick, uh, Eurachlodon, Eurachlodon is brought up in Moby Dick as this annual Mediterranean hurricane. There's this typhoon that comes in, and it's called Eurachlodon. It's this huge, huge storm. Um, in the Arabic version, it renders it the mover, or it's the stirrer up of waves, which beat against ships in a violent manner and expose it to great danger. It's a cyclonic, tempestuous northeast wind. That's the literal of, of uh, Eurachlodon, means northeast. Kind of like we have the northeast, the, our nor'easter storms is northeast. Um, we don't think that this wind came from the northeast uh, just because of the way that it tossed it, but uh, that's, where, that's where it comes from. And verse 15, and when the ship was caught, they only had to go 30 miles to Phoenix. The ship was caught and could not bear up into the winds, we let her drive. And so I got kind of, uh, that kind of made me chuckle a little bit. I'm just imagining, you know, Julius with the big ship wheel here. And he goes, oh, hey, honey, why don't you come over here and take over? And, and so, you know, his, his, his wife gets on there and he's like, there you go. Just, just like that, just like that. And I got to go. <laughs> so that's what it, it doesn't mean that in verse 15, we let her drive. Okay. It doesn't mean that, uh, that they let his wife drive. It means that they let the ship drift. So they, they're not going to be able to steer in this. They let the ship drift. And what happens? And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to do. We had much work to come by the boat. Now, I kind of put in my own handwriting Clauda. It is 23 miles south of Phoenix. So this uh, Eurachlodon, this huge Mediterranean hurricane, had made their boat drift 23 miles south to Clauda. And while they were doing that, so they're on this island, they said that we had much work to come by the boat. Now what that means it's a smaller boat. These huge grain vessels, these Alexandrian uh, vessels, had what's called a dinghy. Now, this is the first time I've ever heard of a dinghy, but maybe you all know what dinghies are. But what they are, they're small boats. And typically, these large vessels will tow this small boat behind them. And that's what happened here, is that they had to work extra hard, in verse 16, to get the boat. To, to bring this boat on board to the ship. Now, th there's another distinction that will help you here as you read. When it says ship, it's referring to the large vessel that Paul's on. When it says boat, it's referring to the dinghy, okay, the, the smaller boat. So 
Verse 17, which when they had taken up the, the small boat, they used helps undergirding the ship. Now this is a technique that they used. It's called frapping. And frapping is, is when they would take cables and that they would tie it around the bow to try to keep the bow together. And that's girding the ship. That's what that means. And fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. So there was at this point, there's something called the um, sterus or the citrus. It's slimy um, sand. It's not literal quicksand, but it's this sand that they wanted to avoid getting into. It's actually, it's, it's really bad in northern Africa. Uh, that's where this is. It's not that far up, but uh, they call it the ship graveyard just because of this slimy sand that's there. They didn't want to run into that. And so they strake sail. Strake means to let down. They let down the sail, and so were driven. And so from there... In verse 18, and we being exceedingly tossed with a temptus, the next day they lightened the ship. So possibly the, the, some of the cargo they had thrown out of the ship to lighten it. Verse 19, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. So they were tossing out things that were not essential, uh, heavy objects, things around on the boat just to toss them over. And notice that it's all hands on deck here. Luke is still saying, we did this. We did. It wasn't the ship uh, crew. It was everybody. And, you know, it's real interesting is how these social classes just kind of blur when you're fighting for survival, doesn't it? These distinctions in social class. Once, once you're in a group of people and you're trying to fight for survival, it doesn't matter if you were first class or second class or anything like that. Men's the one who invents classes. Of people, but everybody was all on hands on deck. In verse 20, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Now, what does that tell you? He says, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. What does that mean? I think they overshot. They're wintering, don't you? They're not staying in Phoenix. They're deciding to go on. They're, you know, they're not going to just set up somewhere and try to ride out the, the storm season or Iraqi uh, uh, Dome. But I think that's what that squiggly line is on the map. I didn't make this map, but I'm pretty sure that that's them being tossed up. In the end. We can imagine that's your stomach probably too. Uh, you know, they probably had their heads over the rail feeding the fish. <laughs> I, I know I would. Um, April and I took a cruise, and I, I'll tell you, um, I won't talk long about it, but we, we, we went on a cruise, and I had one of those seasick ear patch things, and it worked. But in the cabin, there was a TV, and it showed where you were on the map. That was the only channel I wanted to watch. <laughs> April's like, can we watch something else? I'm like, nope. And I, I had to make sure our boat was at least that close to Florida. You know, we went down the Bahamas, and I'm like, I know I can't swim that far, but it makes me feel a little bit better knowing land's just right over there. But um, 
that what, what got me, but now I've never been out in a, in a fishing vessel out in the ocean. Maybe you all have. Uh, that was one of the reasons I didn't go to the Navy. I wanted to go to the Navy, but I was like, I do not want to be out on the ocean for six months. This far, my face this far from the person I'm sleeping under. Um, because, you know, what, know thyself kind of thing. But this small temptus, Luke says everybody lost hope. Verse 20. But look at verse 21. Paul, after long abstinence, what that means is no food, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Now, I don't think Paul was doing this to chide them or saying, you should have listened to me. I mean, who's, who's that helping, right? Don't you hate that when people do, when people do that? You're like, I know you said that, but, but let's figure out what's going on right now. Paul wasn't doing it with the intention to chide them. But he does it with the intention to encourage them. In verse 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now remember how Paul started off. A prisoner, a nobody. We're going to figure out here in a minute there's 276 people on board. He started off as a prisoner, and pretty soon he's going to be elevated to the leader. You know, when all hope is gone, when all solutions are gone, when this huge thing is in your life, and then here comes godly leadership, here comes godly comfort, and Paul finds himself in that position, and he says in verse 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, have courage. That's what that means. Uh, there will be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now Paul was being prophetic here. He's saying, the only thing that's going to die is this ship. Uh, we don't know how Paul knew that. We just assume. Because in verse 23, he, he tells us, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. What that means is, to who I belong. He, it's not the angel that Paul belongs to. It's the God of the angel who Paul belongs to. And he says, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose, am, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. He says, Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. So there's two things which Paul's telling them is going to happen. The ship is going to perish, and that we are going to run aground. We're going to end up somewhere. Be of good cheer. This thing's not going to take us down. Because he confesses before all. He goes, My God, my God, take care of me. And we see that um, that's just an amazing encouragement to the men, and we see that God's protection of Paul, it also is for those around Paul. So in verse 26, he says that um, we are going to, now just imagine how calming Paul is, how confident he is, and he's caring for them. 
He's caring for this hope that he's seeing that's just dissolved. He's, he's, he's seeing people just come under the weight of this. I mean, everything they're doing is not working. And everything is dangerous. But in verse 27, but when the 14th night was come, that means 14 days since they left the fair, or the haven, the fair haven, the 14th night was come as we were driven up and down in Adria. About midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. So things they sensed, the shipmen sensed that there was some country that was close to them. In verse 28, and sounded, and found it 20 fathoms. Now what that means, sounded, is a, it's like a sounding line. It's a plummet. And what they use is a sounding line. It's, it's a long piece of string, a long piece of rope, and they tie metal on the end of it. And that's how they find the depths of the waters. It's a sounding line. So uh, they poured over. They thought that they were getting close to land, so they wanted to see how deep they were. And so they found it to be 20 fathoms. 20 is 6 feet. It's an it's a arm's breadth wide. And so for 20, it means they're, that... The water was 120 feet deep. And when they had gone a little further, they, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. So this time it's 90 feet. So they know they're getting close. Verse 29, then fearing, now remember it's dark, then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern, which is the back, and wished for day. So by casting four anchors to the back of them, what they wanted to do was steady the bow, the, the front of it. They, they wanted to stop where they're pointing. They didn't want to go adrift. They, they, they know they're getting close. They sense land. They either see it or feel it or something. And then uh, they throw the four anchors in the back. Now, um, I may get to it here in a minute, but um, actually I'll get to it now. What's interesting is that the... Bible Archaeology Search and Exploration Institute has found the four anchors from Paul's shipwreck. And they have recovered the, what they think that they've recovered are these shipwrecks. Now he's going towards the island of Malta, uh, as you can see on your map. So they found it near St. Thomas's Bay. Um, they have marked right now at Malta, the, the place where, you know, the shipwreck, we're getting ready to talk about the shipwreck. Uh, they have a, a, a bay called St. Paul's Bay, but now they found these anchors more up towards St. Thomas's Bay. So they found these four anchors, and that's why they cast them over. Verse 30, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat, or the lifeboat, and to the sea under color as though they had been cast anchors out of the fore ship. So instead of waiting, you've got shipmen, instead of waiting toward day, and that's what they were wanting to do at the end of verse 29, they cast the anchors, they were, Lord, please get us to daylight. But shipmen were like, you know what? We're going to do this under the guise of lowering the lifeboat, or I'm sorry, of lowering anchors at the bow. And that's what it says, that, that's what the word color is there in verse 30. Under color means disguise or pretense. They were pretending. These, uh, these sailors were pretending that they were casting anchors out of the bow or 
in the front of the ship, but actually they were casting the lifeboat because they wanted to run away. They couldn't wait. They were being impatient. So verse 31, Paul said uh, to the centurion and to the soldiers, except those, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Paul spotted them. Now remember, God's promise to Paul was that as long as you're around Paul, you'll be saved. You will be safe. And he says, look, God's promise was for all of us to stay together. He told the centurion, he told Julius that. And then verse 32, then the soldiers, they didn't listen to Paul the first time, but they're listening to Paul this time. Uh, Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Just a waste. They actually cut the line to the lifeboat and it fell. And now it's gone. So their dinghy is, it's, And if you think about it, how much do we make things worse when we panic? It's a lot easier said than done. But when we're in that situation where we're panicking, we're impatient, and we do things out of haste. We don't wait on the Lord. We don't have the patience of faith. And we do things out of haste, out of haste. And it ends up making things worse. And that's exactly what they did was they made things worse and that boat would have come in very handy here in a little bit verse 33 and while the day was coming on Paul besought them all to take meat saying this day is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting having taken nothing imagine that these waves are so bad and they were so petrified that they've not eaten in 14 days Verse 34, wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. Um, Something that we should know here is when you have confidence in God in these times of panic, when you trust the Lord and you have confidence, you have rest, it frees you to care for others. It frees you to care for other people and yourself, to not neglect the things. Now, in a panic, you're doing dumb things. But if you're confident in God, you're able to to care for other people. Isn't that something? He cares about them. He says, you all need to eat. Now, they're still in this storm. It's still, I mean, this... um, Eurachidon, this, this, this tempestuous thing is still going on. Days, 14 days. Can you imagine a storm that long? It's still going. April said the other day, remember when we had those sustained winds? Well, of course you all remember that. It seemed like it was all day. And I was like, I can deal with 60 mile per hour gusts, but I can't deal with them for six straight hours. You know, that's just, it's starting to get scary. Stuff's starting to blow over. Um, 14 days they're in this hurricane. But Paul says here, verse 35, And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And uh, here, if we get time later on, if you write down anything, Philippians was written after this incident. And you remember what Paul wrote in Philippians? Actually, just real quick, turn there with me. Uh, Philippians, um, 
I don't trust that we will get there, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take us there. Philippians chapter 4, uh, look at verse 6. And I want to say, now we know the Word of God's inspired, but I wonder if this was in Paul's mind, this very thing that Paul did. What did Paul do? In the middle of this storm, he broke bread, and what did he do? He thanked the Lord. In the middle of his biggest dilemma of life, he thanked the Lord. Imagine being hooked up to, to chemo, being hooked up to radiation. You're going home or you're going through one of the biggest things of your life and it's just sucking any kind of joy. It wants to rob you of all joy. You get home and you with all your heart praise God and give him thanks for your meal and your food. You still give God the glory. Well, I wonder if Paul penned this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, thinking about that, this occurrence. He says, be careful for nothing. What that means is anxious. But in everything, not for everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I wonder if he's pinning that and he goes, well, you know what? I remember back when I was on that ship. I remember back when I was in that storm. And I told those men that God is going to save us all and there's not going to one hair be uh, touched on your head. And in verse 35, he took the bread and he gave God thanks. He was thankful in all things. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Verse 36, what does this do? I mean, not only does it bring a peace that passeth all understanding to Paul, but who does it do for the others around him? In verse 37, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, verse 36, And uh, then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in, uh, I'm sorry, and we were in all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls, that's 276, verse 38. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship uh, and cast out the wheat into the sea. Now remember, they just got rid of their lifeboat, so they're wanting to run the ship aground. They're wanting to get the, the ship as close to the shore as possible, so they want to make it lighter. They don't want to hit the ground too soon, so I think they, get, they throw out all the grain. They throw out all the wheat in verse 38. In verse 39, and when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek, which is a bay, with a shore, into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea, and loose the rudder bands, which the rudders were on the back, and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they fell into a sandbar, okay? These two seas met at a sandbar. They ran the ship aground, and the forepart, the, the front of it, was stuck. It stuck fast and remained un, uh, unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. This is, this is game over. 
They, they, they ran the ship, the, the front of the ship, into the sandbar, and they couldn't move it. And then the back of the ship is getting pummeled with crashing waves, and it's destroying the, the back of the ship. Verse 32, And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. We need to understand that uh, a, a prisoner, the soldier would have been either killed if their prisoner escaped or they suffered the same fate that their prisoner would have suffered had their prisoner escaped. So the soldiers were like, let's, let's kill him. But we see God's providence, don't we? Verse 43, But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards, the rest of them, if you can't swim, float on these boards, and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to the land. All 276 passengers of this ship had reached Malta. And you can actually read that in verse 1 of the next chapter. Uh, it's called Melita in chapter 1, or in verse 1. But they had all come safely, just as God had promised to land. There's four observations I want to make. First of all, storms will come into your life even if you're in the will of God. This storm came to Paul, even though he, he said, I must see Rome. Jesus said, you're going to Rome. Paul was right in the middle of the will of God, but here's this huge storm. There are trials of correction, and there's trials of perfection. Now, think about Jonah. A, a storm came upon Jonah when Jonah disobeyed God. That was a trial of correction. But Paul, and think about Paul here, Paul uh, did not disobey God, but this storm came. And so we know that there, there, there will be storms in your life. Secondly, Storms will have a way of revealing your true character. Storms will have a way of revealing your faith. Some of the sailors panicked, and they tried to, to, to escape, and they ended up panicking and doing the wrong things. Other people were just, I imagine, rocking back and forth and praying for morning, just hoping for morning to get there. But Paul was confident and trusted God was on his throne and he was in control. That's faith in these storms. And, you know, I believe that God will give us grace to get through those storms. It, it would be too arrogant for me to say, well, I would never deny the Lord. I mean, that would be kind of like what Peter said, wouldn't it? When he said, I will never deny you. The Lord, we pray there is one thing that I am not tolerant of and I have no patience for, and that's pain. I don't. I, and I know, I pray, and I, did, and I have prayed, Lord, when I get to that situation of my life, help me to be a testimony. Because you know I don't do pain. And you know, Paul wasn't mean in his pain. He wasn't spiteful. He was calm. He was a comforting presence. He cared for those who were around him, who were in this situation. Now, the third thing 
is the worse the storm is, the greater God reveals himself. You know what? You may not have faced your biggest storm yet. You may not have faced this hurricane. This is probably the biggest storm of Paul's life. But be of good cheer. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth thee. You know, Paul received the word of encouragement. He received the word of assurance from the Lord right when Paul needed the word of assurance. The bigger the storm is, you may not have, you may not have sailed into your biggest storm of life, but God will never leave you nor forsake you, and you can be just as confident and trust God absolutely through any of the storms that come. Your, uh, your big one, your, your Oakladone may be coming. And we know many of you, I know many of you have already been through very big storms. Already. And that's the fourth point. Is storms are designed to strengthen our faith and be a witness of the grace of God in our life. Paul had publicly professed God. They didn't know who Paul was. But when the time came right, Paul came out, he professed God, and he prayed to the Lord. And, you know, he exuded the calmness and this peace that passeth all understanding. Everybody else was panicking on this boat but Paul. I imagine Luke is not, but even Luke wrote that it looked like all had lost hope. But we know that these storms are designed to strengthen our faith, but be a witness to others of the grace that God gives you. And we know that God's grace, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Um, many of you, I mean, like I said, we know that you've gone through the greatest trials, the great trials, and it was a storm. And it just kept beating and it kept beating and it kept beating. And but we know what God has said. We know that God has promised us perfect peace to those who lean on him and trust in him. And what a testimony. I mean, not only are these storms designed to strengthen our faith, but it's also designed to be of caring and to be a witness of the grace of God that is in you. That you know what? No matter, yeah, this thing is big, but my God's a whole lot bigger. My God's a whole lot bigger. And when I die, I know that I'm going to be in heaven in glory with him. And the Lord is putting me through this to just endear him to my heart, to my mind, to my heart. And that's what Paul says, that God will give you a peace that passeth all understanding in your heart and in your mind in Christ Jesus. And that's when we give thanks in all things, in all things. I pray the Lord has richly blessed you with this lesson. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, thank you for your promises to us. Thank you for loving us and setting your affection and saving us and bringing us closer to you, strengthening our faith. Lord, we know that everything we see will wither, and the only thing that will last will be your word 
And Father, we know that we'll be in glory with you, that where you are, there we will be also. For we will see you face to face. Father, what a beautiful promise. Lord, but in these storms, Lord, we know that they hurt, they're scary. They bring fear, they bring pain in our lives. Father, may we just stop. May you give us the strength to stop in these storms, just as your servant Paul turned to you, trust you, absolutely, for you're on your throne, you're in control. And Father, that will bring peace to our hearts and joy to our hearts. And Father, also it'll be a witness and a testimony to those around us. Father, give us the strength during those times. We cannot do that. That must, that must be by your power and by your grace. Father, we do pray, Lord, that you'll, we know that you'll provide it in that day where we need help. You are ever present with us. Father, we pray for each one here tonight as we go our separate ways, that you'll be with each one and that, that will be, bring honor to you in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.